Welcome to the Nintendo Fusion Podcast, a podcast that fuses past, present, and future Nintendo thought. I'm David, accompanied by my friend Jordan. Now, Jordan, what are the chances that people will stop mistaking Link for Zelda? Uh, zero. They'll keep doing it forever. They'll keep doing They'll it like forever. It. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's highly unlikely. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I had a roommate who just would not, could not understand why they would name a series after someone who's not the main character. Uh, <laughs> I had many discussions with him about why Samus's name is not Metroid. It was really painful. Because it's about the creatures, like how it's the legend of Zelda, because it's the legend about the princess, not about the hero. <laughs> Uh, come on, it, it's not that hard to wrap your head around, guys. Um, so this is our big Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom post-release dozen, multiple dozen plus hour impression episode. It's a really long title. We'll cut that down for the actual name of the podcast episode, but that'll give you a, a feel of where we're at. Uh, we both have had the game for a while now and have really enjoyed playing it. And just as a heads up, we are not going to be spoiling the story past the point where you get the paraglider. So that covers the entirety of the initial cutscenes, the initial um, starter island where you learn everything about the game, and then a decent chunk when you finally make it back down to the surface. But as soon as it gets to the point where you have the paraglider, we're not going to be talking about anything past that because that's where the game really opens up and there's a lot of mystique and interest and quests and all that stuff. How does that sound, Jordan? Yeah, that sounds right. Perfect. This is just a first impressions uh, episode, even though our first impressions I've played for probably close to 60, 70 hours at this point. (laughs) I took both days. I took Friday and Monday off of work (laughs) just to play nonstop. I'm kind (laughs) of jealous. I had to go in on Friday for several hours for a bunch of meetings and stuff. So I played the night it launched and then I played quite a bit uh, Friday afternoon and evening. And then I played pretty much all day Saturday, except for another event that I had and a good chunk of yesterday. And yeah, yeah. I've really, really loved it. <laughs> so. I also got it at uh, the midnight release. Mm-hmm. Um, GameStop kind of butchered uh, <laughs> the release they were going for. They were trying to have this system where like everyone comes in at three to nine ish or whatever uh, to like buy their ticket in line or something so that it's already paid for. So you can just come and pick up the game and then leave, but you get like a number ticket so that you would, uh, basically be, be in an orderly fashion and everything and all that. Um, when it came to 10 o'clock, 200 people were there and <laughs> it was just complete chaos. Like, wow, they only had two employees to manage it all. And it just, <laughs> it did not go well. Luckily I was, um, Standing near the front, even though I was supposed to be like number 30, um, I got mine pretty quick uh, and was able to get out within 10 minutes. But people, people were so, so angry. <laughs> I mean, your location sounds chaotic. My location, since Jordan and I live in the same state, just a little ways apart from each other. Uh, the location I went to for the midnight release at GameStop, they did the exact same thing. And my, my little brother and I got there like half an hour early or so. So we were number 27 in line, I think the number was. But at our location, people actually got in line where they were supposed to be. And we actually kind of shuffled around numbers before it started to, to really make sure things went smoothly. So your location had all of the rowdy people. Mine were orderly <laughs> and followed the rules. 
did you get one of those like arm sleeves that was basically Link's uh, arm in the game? Did you get one of those? Uh, no, I did not. They didn't have enough for everyone, so they just kind of like raffled them out or <laughs> well, something. They raffled them out for us too, but like nobody knew what number they were calling on their ticket because it wasn't the number <laughs> that they marked in Sharpie. It was like the number of the actual raffle ticket. <laughs> and so it was like, huh, number 350. That's definitely not me because <laughs> there are only like 200 plus of us there or something. Uh, so they had a whole fat stack and they gave them out to the first bunch of people that were there as well, along with that pre-order plaque um, of, well, I, I, I call it a plaque, but it's actually a piece of plywood that they burnt in the ultra hand logo <laughs> into. It's yeah, nice, I wasn't. But. I didn't know that that was one of the pre-order bonuses. Oh, um, so you just got I don't, it. I don't. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Hang it on your wall. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess. Um, did you upgrade to the collector's edition? I did not. Okay. Um, they had. They got a bunch apparently in, and then they called everyone who had a pre-order, so like all two hundred of us or whatever, and said, "Hey, we're going to have ten <laughs> in stock. First to the door gets it." And wow. Apparently, that was madness too. If they did the um, same thing for us, though, they actually had us line up outside the store before three o'clock hit. They're like, look, we want to have regular business come in still, but you guys can line up outside so that we're ready for when three o'clock hits. Because there were like another hundred plus of us that managed to arrive before that three o'clock period. And they then called out once they started like, look, guys, we have 20, uh, I think 20 uh, collector's editions that are first come first serve based on where you are in this line. And they were gone by the time I got there, but I had already pre-ordered the collector's edition online. I just knew that GameStop was going to F up the shipping for it. And so I got a pre-order of the base game, which is the same thing I did for Xenoblade Chronicles 3. So at that point, I'm like, eh, what's 200 total dollars for two copies of this game? (laughs) (laughs) Plus the 65 or 75, whatever the final price was for the Pro Controller. So the Pro Controller and the Collector's Edition finally arrived on Saturday, but their system was so messed up that I had to make a FedEx account with the same email address to see if there was an existing order so I could see if they actually did ship it or not. So it was a mess. Yeah, I'm really hoping that Nintendo uh, does a second print run of that controller because I do want that. It's so pretty. Oh, my gosh. I I was so good. I was able to snag both Amiibo. Um, I was surprised that they they did reprint of the Twilight Princess Amiibo, apparently. Yeah, at the same time, which is interesting. And I guess that's because that one comes with Epona. Yes, um, that one and the Smash Brothers one. They'll both do Epona. But the Smash Brothers one uh actually i think they're both like the same in in the game but yeah they they give you a pona and they give you the tunic of twilight so that you can look like twilight princess link well i also got the oh maybe i got it from the wolf link i got the um mirror of twilight fabric for my paraglider yeah i need to go through and tap all of my amiibo but they're hiding in the garage somewhere right now (laughs) (laughs) well it is a gotcha system so it can take days to get like what you want i've been trying to get the majora's mask paraglider and i still haven't gotten it yeah, I remember original Breath of the Wild. I it took me like three weeks to get everything I wanted, <laughs> just tapping all of the amiibo. Uh, anyway, so I guess that's kind of our pre-order uh, story there. Um, I think it went fairly smoothly, but man, this launch was absolutely enormous. Did did you see that? Like, it's topped all of the charts in the UK where they actually publish this stuff. Which, I would be surprised if it didn't. <laughs> exactly. It's apparently the biggest Zelda launch ever. So it beat Breath of the Wild's launch. And it's one of the biggest gaming launches Nintendo's ever had, period. 
So I'm not surprised that it beat Breath of the Wild because Breath of the Wild was a launch game and also on a dead console. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. <laughs> like so many people bought Breath of the Wild that um, I believe it had a 107% install base for the first month or something. <laughs> right. I remembered us talking about that. It's like, yeah, um, <laughs> people just bought the game when they didn't have the console because they didn't make enough for the console either. <laughs> but yeah, there was only like two million systems out at the time. So yeah. I <laughs> it, it's what I'm saying is it's not that hard to beat Breath of the Wild, not no. for Breath of the Wild's fault. It was, it was just unfortunate right. circumstances for Breath of the Wild. Maybe this is why they released Tears of the Kingdom now and didn't save it for the next console is because they knew they'd get an enormous launch by having it just on Switch. Well, you you could argue that um, Breath of the Wild definitely kicked off like the Switch Switch's success, right? Mm, yeah. So you you need some sort of game for a new console. Tears of the Kingdom definitely could have pulled it off. Um, but at this point, look, we we recent last week we also got the fiscal numbers for the year report for Nintendo. Um, they they just need to put Mario Kart Nine as a launch title. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> I saw some random people on Nintendo's like latest tweet talking about uh, Tears of the Kingdom. They finally revealed one of the new locations in the game. And one of the top tweets was, Nintendo, what we really want from you right now is Mario Kart 9, not more advertising for Zelda. It's like, oh, shut up. <laughs> Mario Kart 9's not coming yet. That's why they're doing the DLC now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're not seeing Mario Kart until the next system. But anyway, uh, yeah, this is about Zelda. We've been talking Zelda, forever about yeah. not Zelda. <laughs> so. so going into this game, uh, we had our previous episodes or whatever, where we went from kind of like excited, but like this isn't going to be blowing us out of the water or anything to this is going to be pretty exciting. But um, you were on the camp that this was going to like revolutionize Zelda. And I was like, this is going to be basically <laughs> a reskin of Breath of the Wild, but better right yeah yeah that's pretty much how it went down <laughs> yeah i think i think i ended up <laughs> being a bit correct on that one where um you're still finding like the the memories and everything and that there's a lot of one for one parallels for most things and breath of the wild and i was worried going in that that would bother me but it doesn't at all and i think uh, that has to do if i may be so bold with the sheer number of things to do in this game like, yeah, Breath of the Wild was far more focused on exploration and just letting you go and discover this kind of silent fallen kingdom. But in this game, it is way more quest based with tons of extra things to do all over the map. Is that a fair assessment? Yes. So like in in the previous Breath of the Wild, while wandering around, you had like three or four different things to do on cycle for a pretty good gameplay loop like i'm not i'm not bashing breath of the wild breath of the wild right, is a right. phenomenal game exactly but it was basically look for shrine look for korok look for shrine look for korok get unique weapon have some battles and then it would just like loop on that over and over again um this one they definitely kind of like split up the collectibles among like 10 or 12 different things uh that each have their own gameplay loop associated with them that can kind of be like a bit more extended so like you're looking for bobble gems or whatever, right? And mm -hmm. every bobble gem is inside a cave. So when you come across a cave, you get excited because you know that at the end, there's going to be that collectible, right? Right. Um, they still have Koroks. They still have shrines. Uh, it's, 
it's a lot more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and even the quests, like the side quests are way more character focused in this game rather than just being fetch quests, right? Like a lot of them are actually escorting people to individual places. Some of them are, yeah, grab a couple of things for me. But then others are like, go give a mushroom to every person in this town. <laughs> like, <laughs> OK. <laughs> um, and I really think that these quests open up a lot more about the area and make it feel more lived in. Um, comparing Breath of the Wild to Tears of the Kingdom, I really feel like this game is much more about the people that live in Hyrule rather than the desolate landscape in general. In my mind, it feels far more lived in than Breath of the Wild ever did. Of course, there are large stretches of land where there are no NPCs anywhere, but the towns feel much more lively. The interactions with people are much more lively, and it's just it feels like an extended experience on that. And I wonder if they took some of those kind of character moments from Age of Calamity, <laughs> like in, in a small way. But I, I've really appreciated that. The quests have been a lot of fun for me. Um, I know your biggest complaint about quests in Breath of the Wild were the UI um, <laughs> how, for, for like keeping tracks of track of quests. Has that changed at all for you in Tears of the Kingdom or no? I mean, it's still mostly the same thing, right? So <laughs> I, I'm probably the wrong person to ask about this because as soon as I started playing the game, I went to my uh, options and then turned off my HUD. I don't have a HUD at all. I don't have a mini map. <laughs> and then um, I turn off the, the quest marker all the time. So um, I don't know how it's organized, actually. <laughs> I, actually <laughs> well, okay. haven't, I haven't looked at how it keeps track of that. I've been following the quests, though. Um, just by so like the quests in this game feel like a lot more organic, right? Yeah, they feel like you go and talk to someone. They give you actual clues and they don't just say go here or anything. They kind of like are a bit more cryptic in a way, but it's still in a way that you're able to like follow things. And it's not it doesn't feel like these quests are designed with the waypoint in mind, even though the waypoint is still there. Right. Right. Whereas well, Breath of the Wild, it was very waypoint focused. Yeah, and a lot of the waypoints actually stay at the same place. Like, yeah, and I think that's a big reason why it feels that way is yeah. that the waypoint doesn't actually give away where you're supposed to go next in a lot of these quests, which I definitely yeah. appreciate. <laughs> um, I do. One too. of my biggest complaints with like the direction a lot of um, open world games have been going is that they don't want people to feel lost. Uh, this trend I feel like started with Skyrim. I guess technically Oblivion. Um, cause like with Morrowind, they, they just, they did not care. They, they, they <laughs> let you get lost all you wanted. Um, and then as open world games progressively became more and more popular, uh, waypoints became more and more of a thing just to make sure that people were on track and not getting frustrated or lost or anything. And then, um, breath of the wild came out and it still had waypoints and it still was kind of waypoint focused with their admission structure, but a lot of people praised it for allowing people to have like their own adventure and uh, get lost in a way. And then Elden Ring came out and there's just no, <laughs> <laughs> that game does not care if you get lost. Right. Yeah. So I think we're just seeing a gradual trend back towards um, open world games being more open in a sense with their quests. Yeah. And it really feels like tears of the kingdom has nailed that. And what I really appreciate about Tears of the Kingdom is once you finish the Great Sky Island, your hub is actually like in the very center of the map, right? Like you can go, you're like in the middle of Hyrule right next to the castle and you have 
all of the directions around you to go. With Breath of the Wild, you had the Great Plateau, which was somewhat in the middle as well. But that felt much more like, okay, in order to actually progress anything and unlock any of the story stuff, you have to go to Kakariko Village, which is in the, uh, I guess, east portion of the map, right? So in that regard, it was like, oh, I guess I have to go over here before I can then do all of this free roam exploration. But in Tears of the Kingdom, you go to the that central point, that central town, you get the paraglider and boom, the whole map is just open. And you don't have to do a ton of that initial exploration to even unlock town side quests or whatever. Well, and not only that, but once once you do get the paraglider, they immediately launch you straight up in the air. To yeah, just yeah. glide wherever you want. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I did was go straight to Hyrule Castle. I don't know about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I went to Hyrule Castle um, and I was like really worried that I was going to spoil myself. And I walked into the throne room and I was like, oh, there, there's nothing here. And then I kept adventuring <laughs> and then I did find the spot that uh, is a big spoiler. But <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't explored that much. I just went to like the first room and grabbed a bunch of high powered weapons and then left. <laughs> yeah, I found the final boss. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Well, speaking of the final boss, like not spoiling it because I have no idea what it's like. <laughs> All I know is that speedrunners have already gotten the game down to an hour and a half. So there's that. Yeah. You can still go to the boss, I guess, right after the initial tutorial. I will say it's a lot harder uh, than Breath of the Wild. Oh, well, that's that's good to, to, to get to to get to to get to. Gotcha. Um, But anyway, um. I think we should kind of rewind a little bit and talk about that first experience for the players, because that was such an integral part of Breath of the Wild that they had to recreate it for Tears of the Kingdom, because I feel like Tears of the Kingdom can actually be played by people that haven't played Breath of the Wild before. And given a lot of the dialogue that some of the characters give you, it's like, oh, they obviously only included this for the people that haven't played Breath of the Wild. Like, there was one that was talking about how to get to Kakariko Village. And I was like, I know exactly where that is. I played the first game. Um, but anyway, what did you think about the Great Sky Island? Uh, I think I like the Great Plateau a bit better. I really like the Great Sky Island. Um, but the Great Sky Island definitely feels like it's very intended for you to go from point A to point B to point C to point D to point E, right? Yes. Um, it's It's a lot more guided than the great plateau whereas the great plateau definitely like you the great plateau felt like a video game on its own yeah it was literally a tiny version of breath of the wild it had most of the different types of climates that you would interact with you know a tempered area and then a really cold area of course they didn't go to the super hot or flamey areas but like everything was completely open there were many 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 different paths to get to the four different shrines and you didn't even need one rune to get to the next shrine if you didn't want to like you can go get the bombs first if you want even though uh the king of hyrule says hey go get what was it magnesis first um and it just felt much more alive and open but here in tears of the kingdom my biggest complaint with the great sky island is that linearity and even then it feels like there is a linear path in between all of the points that's mm -hmm. somewhat disguised in some places like yeah if you look at the Great Sky Island, it's a giant donut. Yes, it is. The most unlinear parts, I think, were right after you get Ultra Hand going to Fuse. Yeah. 
those two shrines, that was much more open. I took a fairly straightforward path there because I was like, I just want to get the runes and move on because I want to see how they all interact with each other. Um, but then after you get fused, it's like, no, you have to follow this exact path because you're making the mine carts and you're making the other contraptions. And then you go to the snow area to get ascend. And from there, you take a glider back down to the Temple of Time and ta-da, you've basically finished the islands. <laughs> yeah, like it. I feel like it was a really fun and well-designed tutorial, but mm-hmm. where Great Plateau didn't feel like a tutorial, um, Great Sky Island definitely did. Uh, they, they were you are definitely there to be taught certain mechanics and like the mechanics of this game are a lot more com- complicated yes than breath yes. of the wild were yes. um so it makes sense that they would want to try and like force you to kind of like learn a bunch of stuff but you force you into environments i guess would be a better way uh where you have to like kind of come to that conclusion that they're wanting or at least the simplest solution is the conclusion that they want. You can actually solve through a lot of their stuff without the, the answers that they're looking for. <laughs> yeah. um, but the linearity is just going to make like the replayability a bit harder. Great Plateau was, like I said, it basically felt like its own video game. Uh, you had complete roam, free roam. Uh, you didn't have to get like, like you said, uh, this shrine first and that shrine and that shrine. Um, did you find the boss in the, in the Great Sky Island? Like the the big construct boss that was yeah. on its own little island. Yeah, I did that and I fought it. I thought that was a cool boss. Um, but I will say once I beat it, I was like, what the heck is this thing that it dropped that I couldn't put in my inventory? <laughs> I had no idea at that point that it was just like big bosses will drop some big items sometimes that you can only fuse with. And that's all they're good for to power up weapons. So I was just like trying to move it around. I was like fusing it to a Zonai platform. Like, does this do anything? <laughs> like, no, just put it on your weapon, David. <laughs> but yeah, it was still cool. Um, it was cool that there was a boss on the Great Skylands that is optional, of course, but it's a fun way to kind of challenge yourself at the very beginning of the game with something you're not used to. Um, Breath of the Wild didn't add a boss type enemy until master mode when they added a Lionel to the. Uh, well, Great actually, Plateau. there's a Talus in the Great Plateau. Is there one in the Great Plateau? Yeah, I thought. Yeah, it's it's kind of just chilling out in the middle of the map. Um, and if you're following the intended path, you won't stumble across it. Oh, but if you're I, out and about exploring, but you can come across it. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, I definitely beat it because I got the Kilton medal, but I do not recall it actually being on the Great Plateau. So I take back that statement then. If there is one on the Great Plateau, you can fight it. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really thought that the island was pretty as well. The aesthetics were really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that like really amber colored leaves and branches. And it was really nice that it felt kind of populated with all of the odd automatons, you know, the constructs. I thought that was a really nice touch, being able to talk to them about particular things. Yeah, because there was like no NPCs other than the King's Ghost on <laughs> yeah. the Great Plateau. You kind of felt a bit isolated. Which was still a cool vibe because it really hammered home that you're alone in this game. But in Tears of the Kingdom, it's like I, it feels like they're starting off that trend from the beginning that everyone in Hyrule has the same goal of helping you get to the end, basically. And even these constructs are like, hey, we're, we're programmed to kind of just sit here and do our jobs. But here, we'll tell you about blah, 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 blah. So that was nice. I will say, though, they got such a false sense of hope out of me when I got to the uh, Zonite refinery. And I was like, oh, sweet, I'm going to buy up all of these uh, power cores. I'm sure that will come in handy and let me upgrade my battery. And then I could, got to the place where they let you upgrade the battery. And it's like, 
Yeah, no, 10 or however many you actually get isn't even going to come close to cutting it. You need 100 for a single upgrade. I, I was crushed. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a lot. Like, I feel like I'm in a free-to-play game uh, with their awful currency systems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying, trying to grind out uh, these things or whatever. Because um, you need... It's 100 to get a, an upgrade to your cell, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And there are a total of eight, <laughs> eight cells with three pieces each. Yep. <laughs> uh, you already have. So you need 21. You need 21 of these. And it costs three Zonite ore per uh, whatever it's called, the Zonite light thing or whatever. Yeah, the cell. refined crystal cells. Whatever. The refined yeah. crystals. So it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's, it's thousands and thousands of, uh, of Zonite ore. But hey, there is an area in the game where you can get them fairly fast. Yeah. Uh, at least the zonite plus the zonite comes in handy later but we won't we won't talk about that one that, that that's a little bit of a spoiler but yeah i mean i agree with you uh, about the great plateau or the great sky island and the great plateau i guess i wish it wasn't as linear but the mechanics are very complicated in this game but they are very good i did not realize how much i'd actually enjoy using ultra hand now Disclaimer, I am not the most uh, creative when it comes to making things with Ultra Hand right now. I opened up TikTok last night and just saw all of these amazing contraptions where people have already built like battle tanks and war machines and, you know, bombers that just completely wreck everything. Like, I'm like, oh, I don't think I could ever come up with that. I solve half of these puzzles by just building bridges. (laughs) (laughs) um, But it's super cool that it allows for this massive amount of flexibility. And I didn't realize how many different Zonai machines and parts you could actually get in this game. It's nuts. Yeah, I, I'm actually pretty impressed with the Ultra Hand ability. Um, going in, that was what I was most skeptical about. Um, <laughs> Zelda nuts and bolts, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've been having a lot of fun building just crazy contraptions. <laughs> even, even, to, even if they like accidentally kill me, rockets are my favorite thing. Yeah, they're so cool. Such a powerful, awesome little thing. I I found like one of those Koroks that you have to like guide him to his friend. And so I strapped him to like this plank of wood and then I put like a rocket on it. I'm like, all right, this is going to fly you across the chasm. And as soon as it goes, it goes, nee, and it's just like nose dives and like that rocket speed into the ground. That's amazing. <laughs> like, oh, well, we have one less Korok in the world. <laughs> I've seen some streamers do stuff like that. Like uh, one of the streamers that I I quite enjoy watching, Small Ant. I'm sure you're familiar with him and many of our listeners are as well. But I saw just a clip of, hey, he came across the very first Korok that has the backpack that you're supposed to escort. And he just picks it up and throws it off a cliff and is like, that's for making me get 900 of you every time I wanted 100% (laughs) Breath of the Wild in a speed run. (laughs) so funny and other people have uh lined koroks up and like put them in front of firing squads of oh, like no. cannons and rockets <laughs> like this is so sad uh, but it's so, it's so funny uh but the machines that you can make are insane somebody built like a trojan horse and used link's ascend ability to get inside the, the horse and like stormed a village with it it was so funny <laughs> Uh, the creativity in this game is nuts, and I'm sure we're going to see even crazier stuff in the coming weeks. But I think Ultra Hand's great. It lets you solve so many puzzles, and it really is just magnesis on steroids. You can pick up almost anything with it. Yeah. Yeah, you pick up almost anything and <laughs> just build crazy, crazy things. 
Yeah. Um, the fusibility is also pretty nice. Um, it, it gives a lot of depth to what weapons you keep. Yes, absolutely. It, I think it makes it more interesting for what type, like weapon types you actually want to start keeping as well. Like um, choosing between spears and swords feels a lot more interesting now. And so just, oh, I found a spear. I'm going to keep it. Um, because you get to fuse so many different things to the ends of your weapons. And yeah. one of my favorite things to do, Jordan, while I'm exploring a cave is to just get one of the like two handed swords and fuse a rock to it and just spin around, breaking all of the rocks <laughs> that are blocking the path. It's very fun. My favorite weapon is to take a boomerang and attach a bomb barrel to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Don't miss. <laughs> Don't miss. Cause it'll come back and kill you. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I don't, it's not good no <laughs> but it's fun i don't fuse too many things that aren't monster parts to my weapons because i just go for the slightly more optimal build like i know there are people that are very clever when it comes to monster fighting and monster hunting but i like to kind of go head on with powerful weapons and just try to learn as best i can the battle mechanics so i can like perfect dodge every time I still am not amazing at it yet because there are a lot of new enemies in this game that I don't know the timings for yet, but it's still very fun. I will say uh, puff shrooms are really good. Yeah, I, I need probably to try to those. use those a bit more. Yeah, um, they just they give you free sneak attacks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which can just absolutely wreck those Bokoblin hideouts if they're all swarming you. Yeah, if you're getting swarmed by enemies, just pull out a puff shroom and then <laughs> reposition yourself. Poof, it's so good. Bombs are also broken, obviously. Like, I don't I don't think anyone needed to hear that one. <laughs> Everyone knew that. <laughs> yeah, I love how they made them bomb flowers. Of course, I miss the bomb rune. It was nice to have a bomb, like infinite bombs whenever you wanted. But the bomb flowers are really nice. And I'm always happy when I find them. Plus, fusing things to arrows is like my favorite thing. I love making my own fire arrows, ice arrows. It's nice to be able to choose what type of fire or ice arrow I want. Like. I can fuse the chew jelly to it. And so it'll make a puff of the, um, you know, ice or fire, which the ice can then get more people in it or more enemies in it. And it's just it feels much more fun and rewarding to try out different things on the arrows. Yeah. Um, Ascend is an ability I always forget exists. (laughs) I remember it most when I'm in the dungeons (laughs) and in the caves. I use it all the time in there. I will fall into a puzzle and be like, how on earth do I get out of here or whatever? And I'll be stuck there for like a good five or ten minutes and go, oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> like when you fall into the wells, you're yes. like, how do I get back out? Oh, yeah. And it's happened way too many times. <laughs> like at this point, I should just like immediately think, oh, ascend. Yeah, I've, I've done some sequence skips in a lot of puzzles using ascend because I got I've get, I've gotten very good at knowing where the limits are for when you can actually use ascend in places. So I, I think it's yeah. a fun ability. I don't use it that that often, um, but it's still cool. And it's a great way to climb the gigantic mountains like they <laughs> when you go to Death Mountain, there's like a whole sequence and you are they're like, here's a path where you can climb up the whole mountain in a spiral. I was like, I found a cave and I just shot straight up to the top of it. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, but anyway, I, I think it's a cool ability. And I'm glad that it's kind of that escape panic button in a lot of ways, because climbing in Breath of the Wild, while I loved it, sometimes it got really old, especially in like the Hebra Mountains and places where you just climbed the entire time. But yeah, 
then the last new ability is recall, which can like reverse the time of an item. Um, I think this is by far my most favorite <laughs> ability, and it's really, really broken. You can basically like use your ultra hand ability to uh, move objects around and then use the recall to have it reverse that movement pattern. <laughs> and you can get into some crazy, crazy locations and <laughs> skips and all that stuff by just jumping on the item as it's floating around. I can't believe. Well, I can believe, but it, it's still like odd to me that that's an intended thing by the developers, you know, like I wouldn't have thought of it if I was like developing this game. It's like or maybe would have restricted it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, what, what's crazy to me is that the game is tracking the last 30 seconds of every single object. Yeah. in the game. I don't know how it does that. <laughs> like, and still it does fairly performant is which is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, this game is way, way better performance than Breath of the Wild did, at least at launch. I haven't played Breath of the Wild in a while, so I don't know if like there have been a lot of patches that fixed some of the performance issues. Uh, um, most of the performance patches that they had were for the loading screens. Those are much faster. Uh, Korok Forest, which was the laggiest part of the game, is a little bit better, but it's still pretty bad. Breath of the Wild. Yeah, so this game, um, it feels like it's a static frame rate for the most part. It it doesn't it's nowhere near as laggy as Breath of the Wild was. Um this game definitely feels like it was built from the ground up for the Switch, whereas Breath of the Wild now feels like a Wii U game that got ported to the Switch. <laughs> yeah. And well, also this game has me kind of saying uh so, sorry Nintendo for the past couple of years of me ripping on you guys for <laughs> um performance issues with your games and saying that you just need new hardware. Clearly Zelda has shown that you can uh do good performance on the switch it's just that your pokemon division is really lazy <laughs> <laughs> or they just need an actual six years to develop a yeah. single game <laughs> <laughs> yeah like the, the the games i usually like bring up having performance issues are pokemon and um the oh geez what was it bowser's fury but yeah. to be fair to bowser's fury that was kind of more of a tech demo so i don't think they put as much polish into that as it probably right. could have right but what's really interesting is data miners have found that uh, Tears of the Kingdom uses the same rendering engine as the Splatoon 3 uh, game that they released, you know, um, which was new for Splatoon 3. And I think there was one more game, uh, Switch Sports. That's what it was. So Switch Sports and Splatoon 3 use like a wholly new built from the ground up rendering engine that Nintendo made in house and Tears of the Kingdom uses it. And so the consensus or uh, what people are thinking in the community that care about these technical de details are that Nintendo developed this new engine specifically for Tears of the Kingdom, but it took so long to finish up Tears of the Kingdom that they used it in Splatoon 3 and Switch Sports. So that's one of the reasons why it feels so buttery smooth and looks good like consistently is there's a whole new rendering engine for the game. That doesn't include the physics engine. The physics engine is still the same. Yeah. Okay. Which it's super funny because the physics engine is the same because the way that they patched out like bullet time bounces and other things that broke physics were just you can't <laughs> like instead of <laughs> like you, you go to bounce on a red enemy. That's how you did the bullet time uh, bounce off of enemies. And instead of actually making contact with them with your shield, the enemies don't have a hitbox that your shield can hit while you're in bullet time. And that's how they disabled it. 
It's not that you can hit them and they just barely move or something as a fix. It was apparently way too difficult to figure out how to patch it. So they just removed the enemy's hitbox while you're in bullet time. They also took away a whistle running. Yes. And they made it so that if you mash B, it eats through your stamina way faster. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't happen in Breath of the Wild. You could mash B and it would deplete the same amount and you'd still be going the same speed. But now if you mash it, it's like chunk, 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 chunk. (laughs) Yeah. So it'll be interesting to watch how the speedruns progress from here. But yeah, but I'm not going to watch them until I finish the game. (laughs) Yeah. And that might be another month or so. I know. Right. (laughs) I don't know. I'm kind of focusing on the story. To try to get that done so that I can stop worrying about being spoiled. And then I'll go back and like clear the rest of the game. Speaking of the story for a few moments here, I really, really, really liked the initial kind of cutscene wandering the ruins stuff with Zelda at the very beginning of the game. I don't know how you felt about that. Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was uh, so cute. Yeah, this game definitely. I don't know. It, 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 does, it feels a bit more story focused than Breath of the Wild did. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I actually haven't seen much of the story. I've I've unlocked three <laughs> cutscenes. Yeah, I've got three of those as well, but I've also cleared two of the regional areas. So the problem is they're kind of like later in the story. <laughs> oh, so you're like, huh, that's weird. Do <laughs> you want to know where the very first one is or are you just going to keep exploring? I found the first one. OK. And then I found I think it was like 12 and 13. All right. <laughs> I, I found one and two, and then I think I found like number nine or something like that. So I do have a big gap, but it's still good. But what I really loved about the initial story was we got to see Zelda as her nerdy scholarly self that we only saw glimpses of in Breath of the Wild, because that's who she really is. Like in Breath of the Wild, she was always like weighed down by the responsibilities on her shoulders, but she's really just like a nerd at heart. And I love that so much about her. And it was just so cute. They're, Link and Zelda are just like chatting, walking down the hallway. And she's just like, oh, my gosh, Link stops him in his tracks. Look at this. There's lore on this wall. <laughs> I thought it was so cute. And what was really fun about it is that in any other Zelda game, that would have just been a static cutscene that you just watch. And instead, they made it a um, you wander through there with Zelda. Though what's really interesting to me is that the stuff that we saw in the announcement trailer years ago that wasn't in the cutscene at all it just starts with link and zelda like walking into the the ruins i guess that's true yeah with like the ox and all that yeah and the big bridge and her looking at cave walls instead of like ruin walls it was interesting Hmm. maybe maybe they they just changed it yeah i mean that was probably pretty early on i also wasn't expecting the corpse to talk to you as soon as you interact with it he just like looks up (laughs) this is the best he's got or whatever he said. And it's just like, Oh, all right. He's alive. <laughs> Instead of just gasping for air, like a read it or something. It was really good and really fun. I would have laughed pretty hard if it just started screaming like a read <laughs> <laughs> You mean if Matt Mercer was screaming like a read it, <laughs> uh, that would have been awesome. But yeah, and then, of course, if I had a nickel for every time I woke up naked and weak at the beginning of the Zelda game, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. What's even weirder is that uh, both times I am found by a king of Hyrule. <laughs> yeah, like I said, um, they definitely <laughs> use a lot of one for one replacements of Breath of the Wild. Uh, it is Breath of the Wild with new paint or <laughs> new paint job. Um, yeah. And a lot more bells and whistles. 
Right. So, yeah, I was worried that a lot of people would be upset that this game's not going to like um revolutionize a lot of things, but it seems like people are pretty happy with Yeah. what it is. It feels like at this point much more of a fusion between post Breath of the Wild Zelda and by post I mean like Breath of the Wild itself and pre 3D Zelda games like there are a lot of elements that they're definitely taking back from past 3D games but it's still very much Breath of the Wild at its core and I think you'll start seeing more of that through some of the dungeons as well at least in my opinion the dungeons are awesome and epic and amazing and I mean I'm not going to spoil, you know, what they are or whatever, but they still feel on a puzzle level more like the Breath of the Wild dungeons did to me rather than the intricate um, pathy dungeons that have existed in 3D Zelda games. But we can talk more about that in our upcoming episode where we review the game after we've both finished the at least the story. So but other than that, I, I think it's a really nice fusion between the two styles of Zelda games. I guess there are now three styles of Zelda games. Yeah. Um, I am surprised how few Sky Islands there are in this game. Yeah, I thought there'd be a lot more, too. I thought it was going to be like a major focus, but it seems to be there's there's like a handful of like really big Sky Islands and then a few scattering of small ones. And you probably only spend 15 percent of the game up in the Sky Islands. Yeah, which is kind of funny to me. It feels much more like um skyward swords sky you know where it was still like a lot of space in between all of those islands and whatnot um they're definitely bigger don't get me wrong there's a lot more than what we had in skyward sword but uh it feels a lot like that type of sky rather than you know more islands everywhere and i'm wondering if they had to just they could only do so much with it because they were worried that you just fly from sky island to sky island or whatever, so they had to keep yeah. the space out so that you weren't just flying everywhere in the game at the very start. They they still wanted to kind of have like some restraint on how how much you could explore at any given point in time. Yeah, I um, could see them doing that. But I just think it's interesting that they put so much marketing push towards <laughs> the Sky Islands, which are kind of like a small piece of the game, and nothing towards the the depths. <laughs> I know. They they advertise the depths for the first time today, this morning, as of recording the podcast. They finally uploaded a short video on it on Twitter. Because, <laughs> like, we were going in, like, oh, is there going to be caves? Like, I, I remember in our um, pre-Zelda episode, we were saying that maybe there will be just, like, a few caves or whatever, and it would be mostly focused on sky uh, islands. No, it's flipped. <laughs> it's- <laughs> There's a massive depths area and a scattering of sky islands. And the depths are the coolest location I think we have ever seen in a Zelda game. Like it it blows my mind how cool it is down there. Like, oh, yeah, it's terrifying uh, as you're like exploring it because it is so dark. You know, there's no sunlight at all. You have to use items in order to light up the area around you until you get to places where you can light it up. But it is so cool. I don't know if you've been playing the game with headphones on. Have you? I have. Yeah. Okay. The depths are so cool with headphones on. The music is just so creepy and so good. I love it. Plus, it has the mechanic of the gloom where if you get hit by an enemy, you lose that heart until you either use an item to replenish that heart that you have specially cooked up for that or make it to one of the uh, roots of light checkpoints. 
which is such a cool way to add some really complex and uh, complexity to the area where you have to be more careful about how you're fighting. It's so good. Yeah. The depths have definitely become my favorite part of the game uh, just <laughs> because of like <laughs> you, you can't just like blitz through everything because it's complete darkness. So you, you do have to move through a bit slower. And the added difficulty of the gloom mechanic is very nice. Yes. It makes also, it very hard. A, there's a bunch of bosses down there. And yes. <laughs> that's fun. There's, there's a lot of stuff down there that's actually pretty entertaining. Um, and yeah. since that map is wholly new, I'm a lot more engaged with the depths than I am with anything else. Yep. I feel the exact same way. <laughs> like I want to go back and explore it some more, but I also want to finish the story and I'll go do the depths like in full later. Speaking of um, the depths being wholly new and the overworld not being wholly new, uh, we were worried going in that that would be a problem that they were re- reusing the map. And I feel like it works, but I still would have preferred something entirely new. Um, like what, what we have is enjoyable. I like it, but there's always like that, that itch at the back of my head. Like it would have been better if I didn't know where this town was though, to begin with. (laughs) Yeah, I can agree with that. It's like, oh, I know exactly how to get to Hateno village. (laughs) Like it would have been cool to explore that region for the first time. Uh, I agree with that. Yeah. And having like new towns and stuff too. Yeah. New towns would have been really cool, but. I don't know. The it's a direct sequel. It seems like it's only like maybe two or three years past Breath of the Wild at the most, I would say maybe maybe four. I don't know. It's hard to know because they also like got rid of every single reference to the Sheikah ancient Sheikah stuff that they could possibly find except for like one decayed guardian that I've been able to find. And that's on top of uh, uh, Pura's old lab. So it's like, okay. They apparently cleaned up all of the Sheikah tech in a couple of years. Plus, there are some characters that are older and whatnot. But I, I do agree. It would have been really cool to go to a whole new location. But with how cool and mysterious the depths are and some of the new stuff that we have on the Sky Islands and that the upheaval has actually changed some of the landscape, it works really well for me. And it also really works because, again, how we've said earlier, how character focused these quests are it makes the world feel so much more lived in than it ever has before and for that i honestly appreciate seeing this hyrule grown up a little bit more yeah and like like you said with the upheaval um it has changed the landscape enough that i do sometimes still get lost which is nice yep i agree also uh there's a bunch of random caves everywhere i really like those yes Um, like i said going in the three main things i'm really hoping for are uh, caves, dungeons, and um, dungeon-focused items, which sounds like I got two of them. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. Pretty good chunk off of your list, I'd say. Uh, at this point, I don't think we're ever going to really get a pre-Breath of the Wild 3D game with those types of items, unless the next game really kind of revolutionizes it again and is like, here's your open world, but you get the items. I really think it could work, though, because I think back to um, A Link Between Worlds. You could beat those dungeons in pretty much any order once you get to the second world. And a lot of the items aren't required throughout various places and you get them at a pace that you want. And I think that they could apply that pretty easily to the formula that Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom are using. Yeah, 
even if I just get the hookshot, I'd be a lot happier. <laughs> yeah, hookshot would be great. You, but you do have a hookshot, Jordan. In but you can only go straight up and through walls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to like bring items to me real quick. I miss that too. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like the hookshot before Breath of the Wild was almost as integral to Zelda, like Zelda's franchise's identity as the Master Sword was. Well, yeah, they introduced it in A Link to the Past. <laughs> it's been around yeah, forever. And, and it's been in pretty much every game since then. I'm trying to think of a game that it isn't in. Because it is in Ocarina of Time. It's in Majora's Mask. It's in The Wind Waker. It's in Twilight Princess. It's in Skyward Sword. So it's made it on every 3D Zelda game. Pretty sure it was also in A Link Between Worlds. It might not have been in the Oracle games. Mm, I honestly don't remember. But yeah, it's been an integral part of the Zelda series for a very long time. Even if it did change to claw shots, but claw shots are cooler. I stand by that. <laughs> yeah. Double claw shots are really cool. too. <laughs> be, be Spider-Man clinging on to things. So good. Yeah. So I just I just really want the double claw shots to return one day. Uh, maybe we'll get lucky in the DLC. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. That's an inevitably coming. We got a motorcycle in the Breath of the Wild DLC, so maybe we'll get a, a claw shots in the Tears of the Kingdom DLC. Although, since this game took six years to come out, I'm, at, I'm kind of of the opinion that I don't want DLC now. Yeah, I'd rather them get immediately started on the next one so it doesn't take six more years. Yeah. Even <laughs> uh, it only cuts it down by one year. Yeah. Though I will say it is fairly obvious playing the game why it took six years to develop, right? <laughs> like. Just the mechanics that this game has had to go through. Just yeah. absolutely nuts. Yeah, the, the mechanics definitely. <laughs> like I said, um, for multiple episodes now, I think the reason why it's taking so long is because of feature creep. Every time like they talk about the game, it sounds like they, they're just adding more and more onto the pile. <laughs> um, and that could be just a complete nightmare to... Uh, manage or and so <laughs> like th this whole project started literally as dlc um and then it became a, its own game and then that's the reason why we were reusing the map and all that stuff and then they wanted to like expand the map with like the depths and the sky and then add in all these new mechanics and all this stuff and it's just it definitely screams feature creep to me um so are you telling me that tears of the kingdom is basically like silk song <laughs> <laughs> i don't think silks well Silk Song started as a DLC yeah. for this. Yeah. <laughs> Though they Team weren't going to use the same Team map. Cherry's a different, <laughs> a different problem. They, they, they only release games when they, they run out of money. So, <laughs> Which is evident because they came out last week and said, sorry guys, it's still not ready. <laughs> and the other thing about date. Team Cherry is there will be no buildup to release. It'll just be out. They'll just say... <laughs> Hey guys, it comes out at the end of this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Nintendo doesn't do that. And yeah, though I will say like, you know, talking about this as starting as DLC, it does not feel like DLC. And I think people that are calling the game a $70 DLC pack are woefully out of touch with what the game actually does and accomplishes. Um, it's definitely worth the money for me. I know I'm going to get like a billion hours out of it. and. I feel like I like this game already more than I liked Breath of the Wild. And I loved Breath of the Wild. So Yeah, it definitely still feels like a game wholly on its own. I the the seventy dollar DLC thing is kind of a joke, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. It 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 is, but 
I hope that the people that still tell that joke know that it's a joke, <laughs> you know, Instead well, of I, don't, spamming I don't know if they comments. do think it's a joke. I think they're just trying to be, I think it's just like a, a group on the internet that just really want to tear down this game or whatever. And that's just like one of the few things that they can actually hold on to. Well, Nintendo's laughing all the way to the bank. So sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they got like $270 out of me for it. So whatever. <laughs> Kind of going back to some of our overall impressions, um, I honestly think that this game is wonderful. And if you have been thinking about getting it, you absolutely should, Um, especially if you really liked Breath of the Wild, because it expands on what Breath of the Wild did really well. One thing that I think I'm going to go more into depth on and maybe like a YouTube video or something is about how I feel that Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom are actually really good companion games now. I've really appreciated how in some of these side quests and um, even main story events that the game Tears of the Kingdom has been taking me to places that felt a little bit more secret in Breath of the Wild, like locations that you'd have to actively seek out and visit on your own and then vice versa, like going to Hateno Village and finding a secret room at the house that you bought in Breath of the Wild is really worthwhile. You know, like, oh, that was a place that you visited all the time when you were playing Breath of the Wild. But now it's kind of a little secret and you get rewarded for knowing that that secret is there. And I I just think that the games really do go well hand in hand. Now, I'm not saying that you should necessarily like pick up Tears of the Kingdom, play through that and then go back to Breath of the Wild. I think you can, but like they, they just go really well together and it feels like it's been this six plus year buildup of visiting the same world and getting to see it in a different light. And I really appreciate that. I still stand by what I say, though, that it would have been really interesting to go see like Termina or another land or even this same area, like hundreds of years into the future. And that's when these events happen. But all in all, I'm really satisfied with the game and I really am enjoying my time with it. It's been an absolute blast to play through and I don't know. I love this world and I'm just really glad that we get to see it again and that it finally came out <laughs> after so long. <laughs> yeah, it's a 10 out of 10 for me so far. Um, I, I'm still not done yet, but I've already put in I, I'm pretty sure at least 50 to 60 hours into the game and it's showing no signs of slowing down. So it's a big game. <laughs> it's a very, very large game. Yeah, <laughs> probably the biggest game Nintendo's ever published. Any other impressions that you wanted to give Jordan since, you know, I took some time to give my overall thoughts. I think I'm good. Well, I think we're going to do another episode or two or three. I mean, who knows how long (laughs) we'll be playing this game for. Uh, Maybe we'll have some additional things to talk about. Maybe in some of our upcoming episodes, we'll just give a brief update on what we're doing. Maybe not, though. We, We tend to like to stick to a particular topic when we do these episodes but um we will be doing a full breakdown episode i imagine we're gonna have to set apart like two or two and a half hours of recording time jordan if you're up for that to really do like a full in-depth review oh yeah so but that probably won't be for like a month or so (laughs) because there's still (laughs) so much game left (laughs) i haven't finished the first dungeon yet so (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I mean, I kind of pushed myself that way because I want to be able to talk about this game with more people and not worry about being spoiled on the story side. That's where I am. Uh, with all that said, I, I guess we can just go ahead and wrap things up here, if that's okay yeah. with you. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Nintendo Fusion podcast. We've sure had a fun time talking about our initial impressions with Tears of the Kingdom 
It's a beautiful, wonderful game. Definitely get it. Um, if you haven't already, feel free to join our Discord server by going to nintenfusion.com slash Discord. That'll send you an invite directly into our server where you can talk about Zelda and other Nintendo games with us and with our awesome little community. Of course, please be sure to give this episode a like or a review so that it can feed the algorithm and make things uh, even, uh, you know, help other people find the show, I mean. But with all that said, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Nintendo Fusion podcast, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. See ya.